0: And welcome to the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Doe. And for those of you who may not be familiar with who I am, I'm the creator and host of the YouTube channel, Cinemas Underbelly. I'm also the founder and president of Putrid Productions and its sub-label, Vile Video Productions. I'm a filmmaker. I made the shockumentary trilogy, Carving the Cadaver, and I also recently came out with a short film called The Harvesting of Eden, which is going to be featured in Marcus Cook's anthology, Symbolicus. I'm also a photographer and I'm working on a photography series called Shrouded Domains, and I recently released my first photo book within that series called Animalia Mortem. And for those of you who may be more familiar with my work, I think you'll notice that the layout of this podcast is a lot looser than what you see in my typical projects. I typically tend to be much more structured, um, much more formulaic, speak from a script and not that any of those are bad things. I actually think a lot of those things are my strengths, but I think as an artist, as a content creator, it's important to be constantly, uh, pushing your boundaries, pushing beyond what you're comfortable with. And that's kind of the entire theme of this podcast. The Uneasy Train Explorers Club to explore the various fringes of society, to look into the various subcultures that exist outside of the mainstream public eye. I want to interview crime scene cleaners, sex workers, cryptozoologists, exhibitionists, collectors of uh, oddities and rarities, and this also includes people from the extreme horror underground because we also are a fringe, a fringe community. And that's where I want this episode to start. I first got the idea for this podcast before I had even conceived of the idea of cinema's underbelly. I wanted to start this episode by basically exploring my own roots and what films I was exposed to that were basically the launching point of me moving from just being a typical horror fan to being someone who is an active member within the extreme underground. And the two series of films that I can really pinpoint uh, the birth of all of this is the Italian jungle cannibal genre and the Japanese guinea pig films. And so in 2019, when I heard that Stephen Byrow of Unearthed Films was going to be at the Las Vegas Days of the Dead. Um, I knew that I had to go there because I wanted to interview him. And I wanted to ask him about, about the Guinea Pig series because he is the man responsible for officially releasing those films in North America. And I knew that if anyone was an expert on, on these films, it would be him. Not only because he was the person responsible for bringing these films to Western shores, but because he was also significantly responsible for keeping the legacy of these films alive. Because in 2014, Steven Biro released his directorial debut, Bouquet of Guts and Gore, which was the first entry in the American Guinea Pig series, which is a companion series that's directly correlated with the original Japanese films. But when I arrived at Days of the Dead, I was surprised to not only see Stephen Byrow, but his longtime friend, Marcus Cook, who not only did the special effects for Bouquet of Guts and Gore, but also directed the second entry within the series with Bloodshock. And so not only did I manage to score an interview with Stephen Byrow, but I also managed to get an interview with Marcus Cook as well. And though both of these interviews go back to 2019 and are now quite dated, I wanted to share them with you as the first episode of this podcast, not only because they both go into depth about a series that was really formative for me as a extreme horror enthusiast, but because these interviews were the start of my relationships as a content creator within this underground community. The interview you're about to hear with Marcus Cook is literally the first time I ever really talked to the guy and Marcus and I are now friends and we create content together. And this was also the convention where I met Sam Hell for the first time um, from a broke house. And now he helps me with projects all the time. And so not only do these interviews provide some great context for a series that I think a lot of us have a great love for. But these interviews also have a personal significance for me as they're kind of like a timestamp of my transition from being just like a typical horror enthusiast to becoming a creative participant in this horror underground and so i guess without any further ado here are my 2019 las vegas days of the dead interviews with marcus cook and stephen byro as they pertain to the original guinea pig series and the american guinea pig series all right we're here for the um uh Easy Train Explorers Club podcast. I'm here with Marcus Cook, the director of um, Fell and 100 Tears and Bloodshock. And he's also uh, the amazing special effects artist for Autopsy Films. Um, thanks for joining us for this podcast. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Um, so I guess my first question is, what kind of got you into doing special effects work? What kind of films did you see that got you interested in doing that?
1: Um, growing up, my parents actually took me to the drive-in, uh, fr- starting as early as the age of three, they took me to see Hell Night. But uh, from that point on, it was like, you know, VHS rentals and like I had carte blanche to rent any horror film. I just loved the effects side of it. Um, so I grew up watching like The Prowler, The Burning, Friday the 13th, uh, you know, all the classic slashers and I think uh from that point I I decided I'm like I I I want to do that for a living because you know I I'd watch these films and my dad would I would ask my dad like how would they do that and he's like oh special effects and I'm like you mean you can do that as an occupation and so make bloody messes and get paid for it so I was like yeah that's what I want to do and then, in regards to your relationship
0: with uh, Stephen Byro and the whole start of the American Guinea Pig films, how did that kind of all happen?
1: Um, well, Steve and I had been friends for quite some time. Met him back in the late '90s. Uh, he had a video store that opened up uh, called Mayhem Video or Video Mayhem, um, where you know he rented like you know the most effed up movies. <laughs> And uh, you know, so I, I, I kind of kept in touch with him as I was like, you know, kind of just growing my own career and like doing stuff. But he had uh, back in the day, you know, as a tape trader, he would trade like the American or, or the guinea, the original guinea pig series, and he kind of got in trouble, as sometimes bootleggers do. Um, and then he decided, you know what, like, you know. Why don't I seek out and get the rights to the film? And so Stephen got in contact with all the original producers And said look here like your film is being bootlegged and I'm not the only one I want to put it out and I want to pay for it. and We'll do everything the legit way And so yeah 15 years ago Stephen got the okay to do the first American release of the American or the original Japanese guinea pig films and So he did the DVD box set of that and uh over the next course of the next fifteen years, he he spent convincing them like, hey, there's a huge fan base for these films, and and we love these films, and we want to keep going. We don't want to remake these films, but we want to keep the uh, guinea pig kind of legacy going forward. Just make new films, and so you know, thus force uh, you know American guinea pig films, and so that's where we're at now. So now we're. Uh, starting on our fifth film soon. <laughs> oh, that's awesome!
0: That's awesome! That's exciting. Um, so the very first American Guinea Pig film is Bouquet of Guts and Gore, which was directed by Stephen Byro, and it kind of has a connection between um, Flower, Flesh, and Blood. And uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that connection.
1: Yeah, um, like you know, rebooting the series. Like he he wanted something because we didn't want to remake the old. Episodes. You know, we wanted to kind of like make a brand new, you know, things, you know, the, the first film kind of centers around films being extreme and off the wall. And, you know, they could go any kind of direction. But for the first film out of the gate, uh, you know, Steve felt it was very like more apt to be like, OK, well, let's make a film that's going to like springboard into it. And so let's do something familiar. And so he wanted to do bouquet of Guts and Gore, which would be like the equivalent to Flowers of Flesh and Blood, which is probably hands down the most known for the film, mainly because uh, back in like, you know, the 90s, Charlie Sheen had seen that on a VHS bootleg and thought it was like the real deal snuff film and turned it into the FBI, and that's kind of the one notoriety thing that the guinea pig film series has going for it is like that's that's what got it like oh what's this i need to find this so with the
0: with flower and flesh and blood and and kind of how realistic those practical effects are did you have any intimidation in trying to make a film that that tried to be on par or even top
1: oh top yeah that? i was i was uh, scared shitless because the, the, those are some big shoes to fill like i i had seen Flowers of Flesh and Blood, like in ninth grade, ninth or 10th grade, someone, you know, I'd met other horror filmmakers, but they were more into the tape trade thing, which I hadn't quite yet gotten into. And someone said, oh, here's something you need to see. And gave me this tape, Flowers of Flesh and Blood, and I was like floored, because it's like 10th generation. Like I was like, I had not seen anything like that before. And I was like, wow, I need to step up my game if I'm gonna make like a special effects work and stuff. I was like, wow, this is like next level stuff for me. Um, But yeah, like, okay, well how do you one up that? And at the time in the 80s or late 90s, whenever the, the, the original films were made, like silicone special effects hadn't really come into their own now everything is silicone like foam and latex has kind of gone to the wayside but that was leaps and bounds. no one had ever really experimented like that and you know leave it to the japanese like oh well we've got this marine grade silicone caulking and like if you can color it it can kind of you know look similar to flesh and now that was like the first time like silicone body parts and cutting apart body parts had ever been done like that. And so it was was kind of groundbreaking. Um, And I'm like, wow, how am I gonna top that? So I don't know if I topped it, but like Steve wrote how he was gonna disassemble all these women or, you know, or both women, like how how they get cut apart. And and it was like my job to figure out like, well, how the fuck am I gonna do it? Um, And the other tricky thing is like, you know, we had one body for each woman. And once it's cut apart, it's cut apart. There's no take two. So everything had to be done in one take. And when you see like that limb come off, that's it. So we, I had to know like in the, the leg where exactly the leg needed to be cut or in the arm where that, because all of every, everything is gimmicked and rigged with tubing and all the interior, you know, meat. Had to be all sculpted for that one particular section, so we could cut apart the body seemingly anywhere. But wherever it cut apart, you know, you'd see what the interior should kind of look like. So yeah, it was it was a challenge, and I was scared. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this, because you're you know, I mean, and and fans today, like you know, the second someone hears remake or everyone shits on it immediately. Oh, so I was like, oh, we can't fuck this one up. <laughs> so. But I think, I think we've done good, and I think fans have like really responded to it, you know, like, wow, holy cow. I think
0: that that film definitely already has a, a pretty large cult following. It's, it's added, in my opinion, one of my favorite um, just extreme films out there. The practical effects are amazing, and obviously, cool. Thank you. the work <laughs> that you, you've you done. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you had with that film specifically? There's, there's the skinning that are in that film, there's the removal of the The rib cage and the heart beating. There's the eye cutting. What What was the most challenging thing for you in that film?
1: The eyes. The eyes are so difficult, and it it was weird. I just saw a review a couple days ago. Um, They had reviewed the film. They're talking about oh the effects this and that, and they're like oh, but you know they did this eye gag scene, and we had already seen that with you know the Salvador Dali film, Undone Chan or what? Yeah, whatever. I'm totally that asshole who can't pronounce (laughs) the film uh but that was like my inspiration like literally that piece of like cinematic few seconds of when they're dragging the razor blade across the eye and it splits open and this clear fluid comes out and i'm like how the fuck can i replicate that and for some reason i had it in my head because i saw it in like art school in you know ninth or tenth grade And I always thought it was a goat eye, like, you know, they had a, you know, a woman, and then when it cuts to a close-up, I thought it was like a goat's eye. That's what I always thought, too. If you go back and watch it, it's, it's a cadaver, a human cadaver, and they slice the eye, and that's what comes out of it. It's just clear goo and i'm like oh my god i'm like how do i how do i replicate this and so i'm like trying to figure out like i I was making all these eyeball tests steve and i are sitting in the garage and i'm making all these silicone hollow eyes with different thicknesses of silicone and what could we fill in it and and i i kind of got it as close as i can but wow eyeballs are so difficult (laughs) oh that's that
0: was that scene looks so real i mean it's it causes definitely a very visceral reaction. What could you tell us a little bit about like the, I was really interested in, in the, the skinning scenes that happened in that, the, that stickiness that you have in there, like that kind of consistency. Uh,
1: Ultra-slime.
0: <laughs> <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about how,
1: how that process was in making those scenes? Uh, yeah, like, um, you know, the other actress, we had her life cast and then, you know, on the interior of the skin, because you have to kind of build these bodies inside out or, or outside in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I've got, you know, the mold and I do the brush-ups of the skin. And then I try and do, like, like almost you know, like a yellowish fat layer of, like, deadened silicone. So it's really soft and gooey. And then we do, like, a foam core. And I had to, you know, once we got that part done, then, then I had to unskin the entire body. Or at least from her arms to her legs. And then, like... Paint like uh, you know the interior, like to look like muscle tissue, and then we reseal everything together with like slime on the inside, and then just cut it open like we're peeling it apart. Um, yeah, a lot, lot of layers. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. And so the
0: next film in the American Guinea Pig series is Blood Shock, which you actually directed. Um, how did you and Steven come about? Doing that was the intention originally to be you be the director. Like, what was your, how was the how did that process come to be?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, Steve obviously didn't want to direct like, you know, every episode. He wanted to give and because like, you know, Steve and I had been talking for years. Like, oh, let's get a you know the American Guinea Pig series off the ground. And then finally, when like we got it together, it's like you know he was going to direct, now he's going to do effects, and then from there, I think uh, you know. We were gonna try and bring in other directors, but he's like, "Well, the next one." He's like, "You should direct," because he had seen my film *Fell*, which is more of like this, you know, psycho melodrama, uh, psychological things going on. He's like, "If we can grab everything you did in *Fell* and put that into like a torture film, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so let's let's see." And we bounce ideas off, and you know, I had my ideas about I wanted to do you know something with the blood, and he came up with things a little bit of give and take but then you know i'm like here's the actors i want to do this dan ellis and uh, lillian i want them to be our main two actors um yeah uh so yeah it was, he, he turned it over to me so like i mean we bounced ideas but then ultimately i'd kind of like as i was shooting i would kind of throw some of steve's ideas out and <laughs> just make it my own <laughs>
0: Um, that film is is unique in comparison to uh, Bouquet of Guts and Gore in that the practical effects in that film are a lot more close up, oh. and um, and it's more medically uh, focused. Um, what can you tell us about first off just the process of doing that? because it's such a medical film, did you guys have to do some research in terms of like anatomy and things like that? Oh yeah,
1: uh, definitely lots of medical procedures I was watching on like YouTube and like I I was actually shocked at how bloodless a lot of things are And, and you know, when you're making a horror film, like yeah, bloods, you gotta have the blood, you gotta have lots of blood. But it was so weird to me and like surreal that like wow like in surgery like I mean you cut your finger You're bleeding you cut your head. You're bleeding But then you go in a surgery where they're opening you up like it's it's weird to me that there's so little blood and Maybe they just know the right places to cut to to do surgery on stuff but you know, I mean obviously, you know as we're as we're doing this like um, the basis of the film isn't trying to kill the two leads but trying to injure them in really awful ways because they wanna like capture all the blood. Um, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of research and then, uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> As a practical effects artist, was it more challenging that you were doing practical effects where the camera was, um, you were having basically micro shots of different things, especially what I'm thinking about is, Um, Just kind of like the oral stuff that you guys were doing, shooting in someone's mouth seems to be pretty difficult trying to get a camera in there, and especially because the camera's so close in, there's um,
1: no room for error. Yeah, no, Steve Steve writes all these gags and just turns it over and says like, okay, figure out how to do it. You know, it's like, okay, Uh, like, you know, teeth trauma is definitely, you know, one thing that gets under people's skin. So we're like, okay, we gotta do this, and how do we shoot it? And I knew um, when they shot the movie The Dentist, everything was done on large scale, like larger than life-size teeth. But we didn't really have that option. So we're like shooting everything, you know, real scale, like denture scales. And I, I had to build the whole interior of a head so I could film inside looking out and you know I, I puppeted the tongue with my finger and you know <laughs> he's in there poking around andy winton's got like the thing and we've got dentures and uh yeah cat uh, bernier another effects artist who works with me on a lot of stuff she helped me specifically on the teeth because she's very good with like teeny tiny things and i have big fat sausage fingers <laughs> so i like, getting in there like on the tiny work like is is difficult for me but like yeah trying to build everything to shoot interior of a head was a whole new challenge so
0: and um you had two two different roles within that that film specifically you were doing the practical effects but you were also directing that film what were some of the challenges that you had having to play both those roles at the same time
1: um i, I think if i didn't have uh, the upbringing, like making my own films and doing my own effects early on, maybe that'd be more of a challenge, but I'm kind of so used to dual roles from the get go. It's it's kind of second nature. Um, yeah, there's definitely, I'm coming to a point where now I either wanna direct or I wanna do effects, but doing both is, it, it's a lot to take on. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the film's climax, um,
0: why, well, I, I guess I got two questions. So was the intention when you started shooting the film for it to originally be in black and white? And did that play a role in terms of
1: how you did your practical effects? Uh, no, actually it was, I mean, all shot in color and we were planning it to be in color. And our very first screening at Slaughter in Syracuse, I played like a 45 minute cut. And that was the first time anyone had seen it all in color. But as I was editing, I was like, "This needs to be in black and white." And I felt it needed to be black and white. And I, I asked Steve. I was like, "Hey, Steve, what do you think about it doing it in black and white?" And he's all like, "No, no." <laughs> he he was dead set against it. But after after a couple passes of me tweaking it and playing it, I it's it's weird to see it in color now. Um, but. It, I, I think it plays best in black and white. Um, I think later, either this year or next, uh, Steve has plans to put out a, a full color version, which is beautiful, it's a beautifully shot film. It, the black and white does make everything feel dirtier and grittier and grimier, but when you can actually see deeper into the wounds in color, it's way <laughs> different looking. It's beautiful, actually. <laughs> Um,
0: same question I asked with, um, Bouquet, what was your most challenging effect that you did in, in that film,
1: in Bloodshock? On Bloodshock, um, oh, the, the teeth thing was definitely a challenge, but also, oh gosh, they're all, okay, cutting into the arms... Uh, like when he's slicing into her arm and peeling the skin back and the leg Peeling the skin back seeing all the meat and muscle and then sewing it back up and trying to get that to look as not like rubber latex or not like silicone and just Experimenting with the materials to see how far I could push it and kind of change the way it read on film I think that was the hardest challenge effects wise Um <laughs> hard, hardest day <laughs> was uh, during filming, the hardest thing about filming was uh, literally towards, af- after the first couple days of shooting, I began getting sick. And, try- and I was thinking I was coming down with like flu-like symptoms, but like, I'd literally, between takes, I'd just have to lay down on the floor, and it was hotter than hell like while we were shooting. We shot this in August and it was like, 120 degrees indoors and so everybody's sweating but meanwhile everybody's sweating i'm like coming down with flu-like symptoms So i'm shivering i'm cold and it was that i think that probably was the hardest to try and keep everything together While everyone's in town and try and keep up morale while i I just felt like ass (laughs) wow
0: um i've heard uh, stories a little bit about the that your last day of shooting was kind of the last sequence in the film yeah, and that that was
1: kind of like almost an all night thing that you guys had to do yeah well once we got down to you know uh, Lillian and um, Dan in the room and the door shut it was around midnight and I sent everybody else home like Steve go home and sleep everyone else it was me and Kat and we're doing all the blood all the wounds and it's just me, her, the camera and Dan and Lillian. And we're like, we're just going to keep shooting until we're done. And you know, we'd already done like a 12 hour day. So now we're like, okay, your everyone's flights are tomorrow. We just got to get this done. And we had no running water in the place so we couldn't shower. And that was kind of, it was frustrating (laughs) because once everyone's covered in blood, all the wounds and prosthetics, are peeling off and sliding off. So we're having to shoot things in ways that like uh, like this wound that was on there is no longer there, so don't show that. Um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> it was hot, it was sticky, we had no showers and then come around 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, I shuttled them down to the rental car, put plastic down, got them in the rental car, drove them to the house, they got off the plastic which is sticking to their ass cracks. <laughs> And showered them off, and then drove them to the airport. And that was that was literally our last day. It was, wow, yeah, it was That's... intense.
0: <laughs> and then in the uh, last American Guinea Pig film that you were uh, in, involved in is um, is Song of Solomon. And that film you partnered up with. Um, Toe Tag pictures. Yeah, Jeremy and, Cruz. Yeah, for those effects, um, what was it like working along with another effects artist in terms of putting that together?
1: Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Like uh, Jeremy and I had been, you know, fans of each other's work. You know, me obviously liking Toe Tag stuff growing up, and then him liking my films. So so that was the first time we got to work together. Um, at the time, uh, Steve and I still lived in Tampa. Florida and Jeremy Cruz lived out in LA Mm -hmm. as did Jessica Cameron so he handled all of the Jessica Cameron body stuff so he did her life cast he did her limbs that break um, all the guts for the puking and then I focused on all the littler effects I did Steve's uh, slit throat where he pulls his tongue out like the Columbia necktie Um, the tongue gag uh, Jim Pulling his eyes out. So I, 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 just focused on all the smaller effects, and then Jeremy focused on the big body pieces, the brakes, the, you know, the stunt bed. Like you know, it was, looked like Swiss cheese with all the comforters off. But like he could get up under there and puppet things. And but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Jeremy Cruz and I had a lot of fun working on that. That's awesome. What were some of the uh, challenges that you had with working on that that project? Heat. Again, heat. (laughs) We shoot in the summer every time. Like, it's always miserable (laughs) hot heat. Uh, But we were working in, like, a little shed that actually had AC units. But, like, we were working in the sheds. Um, There was outside of the rental house, and we were building, you know, all the different prosthetics and pieces, the eye rip. Uh, There's a throat gouge where she's digging in her throat. Um, It was hot. (laughs) <laughs> that was that was the worst part, it was hot. If it wasn't so hot, it would have been smooth. Yeah. Um,
0: well, um, I know that you're working on a documentary about uh, extreme cinema, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, and then some other projects that you're working on. Yeah, the
1: upcoming one, um, uh, Jesse Seitz and I uh, are, are teaming up, and we're, you know, both of us come from backgrounds of extreme films, you know. and. We got to talking one day like, oh, there's like, you know, documentaries on all these different horror films, but no one has yet really ventured out to cover the extreme side of cine- cinema. The most fucked up of the most fucked up. Like, you know, the August Underground's, the, uh, you know, the Vomit Trilogy, Marion Dora. Uh, there, there's a lot of really messed up cinema that, like, the mainstream people don't really know exists. And so we kind of want to shine a light on it and like, who's behind it? Who are the fans who like these films? And where, where's the history? Like, what was the evolution of how did we get to films? I mean, cause there comes to a point, like maybe like, you know, you know as, a, as like a horror viewer, you're like, well, I've seen everything what's next and then you start digging deeper and that's where you start finding like okay you know this film's got some really graphic gore and it's really good and this film's got this really messed up plot like you you wouldn't see these you know serbian film like whoo that's a rough film (laughs) (laughs) so i mean but we yeah we want to cover that no no one's done that yet so yeah so that's what what we're doing with uh beyond horror um, and just focusing a light on the most genre-bending, envelope-pushing films that exist. That's awesome. And
0: then my last question for you is, being basically the, the best practical effects artist, one of the best practical effects artists out there in extreme cinema, how has your knowledge of how these, how these practical effects been made impact you like watching these films have you does it does it lessen the impact of a lot of these films and has there been anything that you've seen that that you were like i don't know how they did that
1: oh yeah there's uh yeah (laughs) um doing effects now i'm very critical when i watch stuff and i'm just i you know i've got that like oh i know how that's done or oh this looks like that or i can tell what material it is based on the way a material moves um, so yeah I, I kind of feel jaded and, and sometimes I forget to just watch a movie and accept things as they are um, but there's still movies out there that I watch and time and time again I'm just like how the fuck did they do that naked blood there's a scene where a girl like takes a fork and sticks it in her eye and plucks her eye out that's a brutal scene <laughs> you know I have ideas on how it's done but I'm looking for seam lines. I'm like, this is flawless. That's, that's such an impactful effect. Like, I'm like, so I, I do like it when I see films that I'm like, oh, how they do that. Like, how's that done? That it, you know, something can still like trick me. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> well, I, I feel like Penn and Teller like with that shoe, <laughs> you know, fool us. Like, you know, okay, you know, you've seen everything, you've done everything, but occasionally you're gonna find that one gem that's like how'd they do that <laughs> and i i kind of miss that I, I i wish i'd see more of that well is there
0: anything else that you'd like to mention or say or
1: uh, i don't know we'll we'll see where the next the the future of you know extreme films go like i mean i i think as far as extreme films go like you know at one point like necrophilia was a taboo subject but now it's kind of old hat like everyone's done that when you see it you're like eh, no one can top Jorg jorge bookery yeah um and a serbian film uh, i hate to say it like i mean that's some taboo subject matter and he's done it i don't think anyone can even come close to like you know you're just gonna be like oh, you know whatever so where extreme films are going to go from this point is kind of anyone's guess um i think it's Going to be less in the vein of special effects. At least for the time being, but I think uh, extreme films are going to have to really f- hit hard in a story aspect. Is the next kind of uh, evolution? Yeah, what's going to shock people? Yeah, what's going to shock people? Well, yeah. I
0: thank you for taking the time to to talk, and I appreciate talking with you and all the insights that you have. So
1: cool. Thank you for having me on. Thanks.
0: And here's my interview with Stephen Byro, which was recorded a little bit later that same day. All right, I'm sitting here with Stephen Byro for the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club interview. Um, Stephen, why don't you give us a little uh, brief introduction of who you are?
2: Uh, I'm a Libra, I'm 49, gonna be 50 soon. I'm a uh, the owner of Unearthed Films. Uh, I've written several books: uh, *Hallucination*, Dialogue with the Devil*, *Satan Reborn*, uh, *The Dead Baby Joke Book*, *The Ultimate Dead Baby Joke Book*, and uh, uh, *The Ultimate Dead Baby Cookbook*. I've um, uh, been running Unearthed Films for close to 20 years now, and uh, you know we specialize in, you know, fucked up horror. <laughs>
0: Um, can you give us a brief history on kind of your old, old days with video mayhem, the releasing of the guinea pig series, and then the launch of Unearth films?
2: Yeah. Um, I used to be a bootlegger back in the day when I had a comic book store, uh, before, and, uh, I would sell copies of the guinea pig movies, aftermath, uh, a lot of movies actually that I did buy the rights to. And, uh wrote a huge history page on the guinea pig movies and uh uh this the rep for uh the japanese company contacted me and uh told me to stop doing that and then offered to sell me the rights to the movies and yeah 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 he wanted a lot of money and i'm like oh well dude well i'd have to start a company and do the authoring and set up a website and do the manufacturing and da, 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 da. I'm like how about you know you give me the movies and we'll split it 50 50 and i'll start a company no, no, can't do that. He hung up on me and called a month later. Hey, okay, you know, you want to buy them films for a cheaper? And I'm like, hey, well, I got to do this, that, set up a company, how about you give them to me and we'll make a company. No, I can't do that. And then a month later, he calls me again. Okay, so if I give you the movies, we're going to start the company. And I'm like, yeah, 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 we'll do this, and that. And then boom, Unearthed Films was born. And uh, that was sort of cool, because I love the guinea pig films, and uh, it just worked out like perfectly. damn um,
0: You are known as basically probably one of the most knowledgeable people uh, when it comes to the guinea pigs films and the, the history behind them. But probably one of the most infamous stories with the guinea pig films has to do with Charlie Sheen and uh, him seeing a scene from Flower, Flesh and Blood at a party. Um, and there's kind of a lot of inconsistencies about the truth behind what exactly happened with that. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of details about how the whole, that the reality of that story.
2: Basically, Chaz Bell and uh, he used to be uh, one of the writers for uh, Fangoria and uh, uh, Gore Score and Deep Red magazine. And uh, uh, Chris Gore from um, Film Threat was having. Uh, a party and he asked Chaz if he'd make him like a cool videotape of just all fucked up shit and that's what he did he took you know scenes from cannibal holocaust aftermath blah 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 and made it and threw in some flower flesh and blood and uh, you know party went great everybody loved it Bissett loved it Stephen Bissett was at hand and you know this and that but Charlie Sheen wasn't at the party but it was like uh, say a month later he was hanging out with Chris Gore and Chris Gore's like oh hey let's watch this it's cool you like it and you know they were all fucked up and they and charlie sheen saw the parts of flower flesh and blood and thought it was a real snuff tape because back then it was, yeah, it was eighth generation bootleg from Chaz. and uh, uh now charlie just actually just uh you know asked chris gore if he could take the tape and he never turned it into the fbi he actually turned it over to the mpaa to, try to And the MPAA contacted the FBI, and they, they looked at it, and they're like, yeah, no, this is fake. And then that, but when that happened, it was sort of funny, because the FBI did call Chaz Bell, and, you know, they did call Chris Gore and stuff, and they sort of just laughed at him, and they're like, dude, no, it's a fucking Gore movie. And, uh, uh. I talked to Chaz about it, it, because me and him were both doing bootlegs at things at the same time, because it was the 90s. You couldn't find any of that cool stuff, you know? Uh, Tape trading, this and that, right? Mm -hmm. um, He he's a little bitter about it, you know, because he actually didn't like the guinea pig movies, and uh, he just thought it was gore for gore's sake, but but he said the FBI called him, and he's like, yeah, they just called, and I didn't answer, and they never called back. (laughs) that was <laughs> no, it so um, so yeah so that's basically that story yeah
0: um, there's now a lot of shame at least from what I've read uh, in Japan around the guinea pig films um, can you give us some context of what factors led to that kind of shame was it the Miyazaki murders was it the investigation with Charlie Sheen
2: oh the Charlie Sheen thing didn't, didn't ever hit Japan they did, They had no clue they mm-hmm. didn't care uh, and it was the Miyazaki child murderer and rapist uh, and the thing is the stupid thing was the guy uh, um, you know he, he'd rape and murder you know four or five year old girls and uh, he never recreated a scene from uh, The Flower Flesh and Blood which is what they were trying to say uh, actually he recreated some scenes from uh, some hentai and uh, the thing is the the Japanese news jumped on the guinea pig thing and for some odd reason, it had nothing to do with the guinea pig movies, or he was a horror collector. It's just tons of people, you know, collected whatever. And uh, uh, that happened, and, you know, and that's when they started doing making the guinea pigs more funnier. Because mm-hmm. it's just the first, uh, it was Devil's Experiment in Flower, which just has a snuff vibe. And then it's Mermaid in a manhole. And the thing is, everybody thinks that the guinea pig movies are just like pure snuff, torture, gore, blah, blah, blah. But no, it's most of them are like funny. I mean, Android Notre Dame is sci fi, you know. I mean, this midget scientist running around, you know. Uh, he Never Dies is goofy and, you know, not, not that gory, you know, but at the time, you know. Uh, and uh, yeah, Devil Doctor Woman is, I mean, it's a Japanese transsexual, like doing a game show type of thing. Yeah, yeah that's, you know, yeah. And it, that's just goofy as all hell. And the gore is like, jokey and you know so that that's the thing the guinea pigs were still being made while the Miyazaki thing was unru- you know happening uh, so yeah and then you know it just went out of my print so to say you know and uh, what really basically happened after that was uh, the people in Devil's Doctor Woman because there's a lot of them there's like about 50-60 different actors in it a lot of them actually became famous and because of the Miyazaki thing, and because they blamed the guinea pig movies on that when it really did, had nothing to do with it, it brought the, the celebrities now sort of a little bit of shame, you know? And uh, that's one of the reasons why it's not being released again, because they're like big-time Hollywood actors, and they have money.
0: They want to put that behind them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, many people may be unaware that there's actually a seventh unofficial entry in the guinea pig series called lucky sky diamonds What do you know about this film? Was it originally intended to be part of the films before production and before the series ended? Or was it something that was unofficially added after the series was finished?
2: It was never unofficially added. It was never added. It was never supposed to be a part of the guinea pig uh, series That's the thing uh, back then in the 80s. There was uh, quite a quite number of horror movies that were made that were pretty outrageous gore wise but their running time was 45 50 minutes which is usually you know what the running time is for the guinea pigs but there's a bunch of other titles uh, biotherapy uh, uh there's a uh, there's a number of titles but lucky sky diamond was one of those just normal horror movies that us stupid americans thought was part of the guinea pig just because <laughs> it had around the same running time and it was pretty outrageous but nobody thought biotherapy was uh, an unofficial guinea pig, you know, but it was the same thing, same running time, this and that. And uh, I tried to pick up the rights to add it to the guinea pig box set because that would have been awesome. You know, and we could tell people, hey, you know, like it da da done, it was never official. It's, it's, it's not definitely not, you know, unofficial, but here, here it is, you know, uh, but there's uh, rights problems with it. Uh, so, and that's why uh, it's not—you haven't seen a version come out yet with it.
0: Is it likely never gonna make it over the
2: nope. over to the U.S.? Nope, nope. It's it's not even available in uh, Japan now. Wow. You know?
0: um, in twenty fourteen, you launched the first segment of the American Guinea Pig series, which has a connection with Flower, Flesh, and Blood. Um, what can you tell us about? Um, that that first film, bouquet of guts and gore, and, and how you tied it together with the original Guinea Pig series.
2: Well, when you watch Flower, Flesh, and Blood at the beginning of the movie, uh, there's a nice like not a so Star Wars crawl, but it's it's basically the director saying, "Hey, I received a Super Eight millimeter film in the mail, bunch of pictures, some letters, they're really fucked up, and you know I watched it and it was a snuff film." And he's like, I turned it over to the Japanese police, you know, as any good citizen should. And Flower, Flesh and Blood is what he claims is the reenaction, his reenaction for Japanese sensibilities of the Super 8mm film. And basically that's what Bouquet got Segura's. It's the prequel to Flower, Flesh and Blood because the movie states states that he got, got a snuff film in the mail, he watched it, turned it over to cops, and this is his recreation. Bouquet is the film that he was supposed to watch. And then he, you know, made it Flower, Flesh, and Blood based off of Bouquet. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, with such a large cult following with the original Guinea Pig series, did you have any hesitations or fears when you started the American Guinea Pig series and how it was going to be received by the horror community?
2: No hesitation whatsoever. I, I mean, I had plenty of my friends like, dude, you're fucking crazy. You're gonna remake the guinea pigs, and uh, you, you've never made a movie before, and that's you're you're doing a prequel to Flower, Flesh, and Blood, one of the all-time you know great gore movies that was you know, and that's your first film. They're like, you got balls. So I'm like, well, no, fuck it, we're doing it. You know, I never had any hesitation, uh, and whenever somebody brought it up, aren't you nervous? And I was like, no, but you know, when we announced it. Yeah, the, the fans just, oh, what the fuck, you do, you damn remakes, everybody's doing remakes and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But then as we moved ahead, we started announcing, you know, Marcus Cook doing effects, Van Beber doing camera, you know, because it's Super 8 millimeter, and uh, me, you know, saying I'm going to director it, right? it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Scott Gabby from Ultraviolence in it, you know, then, then people start like, and they're like, okay, wait a minute, this might not be as bad as we thought. So yeah, so luckily, you know, did it correctly.
0: Awesome. Um, So after you finished the release of Bouquet of Guts and Gore, your second installment within the American Guinea Pig series, you went in kind of a different direction with Bloodshock, but with, but the similarities in it is that both films, I felt played a lot of homage to the original series. And I noticed that with, um, with Bloodshock, even though it's very unique on it in its own, um, I saw similarities between it and Devil's Experiment and even even a little bit with Lucky Sky Diamond. Um, did you have influence from those films in terms of, of your work with Bloodshock? What was the direction that you were going in with Bloodshock?
2: That was exactly it. It was uh, part Devil's Experiment and part Lucky Sky Diamond. And I figured the, the real fans who've, you know, been in the, into the horror genre forever because, you know, like Guinea Pigs was never really officially available you had to do tape trading in the boots and whatnot so i wanted to do you know devil's experiment type thing and um uh marcus cook you know he's a talented film director as well as a you know special effects guru and uh he was totally up to uh direct it and uh he loved my story and uh so it's got a mixture of you know uh you know the chemicals in the blood you can get high off of and and lucky sky diamond uh it was oh oh, adrenochrome which is a gland in the brain that you know uh if you take or dry or smoke or whatever chew on it or whatever yeah yeah you're you're tripping balls so i wanted to have that aspect in it because i figured some people would notice it and just like you said you did so thank you (laughs) (laughs) so so that's sort of cool so that's like you know so it all works out well
0: awesome um so while you began working on the next installment in the American Guinea Pig series with Song of Solomon, um, from, from everything that I've read, you, you accidentally came across um, a film called Sacrifice and thought it would be a really good addition to the, to the series. Um, what can you tell us about kind of finding that film and, and how you, its relationship with the series?
2: Well, it's funny because uh, I was just started uh, putting together the Song of Solomon and uh, somebody hit me up. They're like, hey, there's this Italian dude who made a movie. And it, it's called Like a Guinea Pig. You know, Sacrifice. And I'm like, what, motherfucker? You can't be doing that shit. You know? <laughs> this is, hey, what the hell? So I contacted him. And uh, uh, I'm like, hey, dude, uh, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, you cannot tell me what to do. I, you know, it says it's like a guinea pig. It's, like you know, and I'm like, hey no take it off and at the time he was sort of like belligerent like oh you can't tell me what to do but then the other people in Italy are like no 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 that's like Biro. that's don't you know he advertises for us and he does this and that and he's like oh okay so he just changed it to uh sacrifice and then when he was done with it he sent it to me and uh holy shit it's just like it's a. Uh, more vicious version of He Never Dies.
0: Yeah, and I definitely saw the connections between those. Two. Yeah,
2: yeah, and it was directed by uh, Poison Rouge. It was her first movie, and uh, Domiziano, Cristofaro, he uh, he produced it. You know, uh, camera guy, this and that. So, but it was awesome. I mean, the thing is the, the the thing is that got me though, that I had a hard time with with sacrifice was. Originally, I'm like, okay, the guinea pig movies, there is no. Cubic hair you know little tiny bit of boobs here there nothing but i didn't want the guinea pigs to have any vomit pee poo ejaculate you know yeah. rape none of that and uh yeah poison rouge um yeah a whole lot of dick mutilation in. and yep. i'm like ah, i didn't want dick mutilation in it but this is really fucking good and uh, i'm like so uh, I worked out a deal and I bought the worldwide rights for the movie, you know, for it to add to the Guinea Pixar, the new American Guinea Pig series.
0: Awesome. Um, <coughs> and then the final entry as of right now is Song of Solomon. And uh, that was intended, uh, you had posted about being kind of like the end cap for the series. Um, originally, but, yeah. Originally, yeah. And, um, and, but this was your your baby. You've been working on it for a while, and you put a lot, a lot of work into that film. Could you tell um, us a little bit about that for those who may not be familiar with that film?
2: Well, it, 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 some people know that you know I'm a Christian, and you know I'm heavily into theology, and uh, I, I came across that uh, so many people really don't know what a real exorcism, what happens, and what's at stake, and uh, uh, I want to do something different, and. uh it's like okay, f- fuck it. Let's uh, let's make an outrageous exorcism movie, and you know. And originally, it was supposed to be the last in the series, mm-hmm. but we're uh, moving. I had I had the budget, you know, and it's like, and I didn't have anybody. I had I was trying to work with uh, Philip Eludi, uh, who did uh, the movie *Visceral: uh, Between the Ropes of Madness* in uh, Chile. And, you know, we, script was down, down, it was good. Me and him were going back and forth on, it was awesome. Uh, we had a producer he who worked on Visceral as well. And they were like, okay, Steve, well, when you come to Chile to help produce this, we're, you're going to have to hide in the closet. Uh, you, you can't go to a hotel room because you're going to get kidnapped and ransomed. And black. You know." And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, no, no, you'll, you'll sleep in the director's closet. And I'm like, what? You know? Uh, needless to say, uh, the producer over there He ended up getting hired at a TV channel To do uh, documentaries on Flamenco dancing and shit <laughs> like that. So uh, so that fell through And uh, some other t- I was in talks with another filmmaker And that fell through Because, you, you know, you gotta have schedules And everybody's gotta be able to do it So so that's why we ended up just going with Song of Solomon Because I had everything almost ready to go
0: yeah. Awesome Um and so in regards to the series and and what's coming in the future um can we expect another guinea pig film or um what's what's the plan for that project
2: yeah yeah we're we're i'm working on behind the scenes i mean i was i was talking to a uh, Karandu mitsutake uh to do one and uh good guy you know and uh, he's made some cool movies and stuff and he, he loves the guinea pigs and this and that and uh we went over uh, the treatment for it. I can't tell you what it is, because you know, it's not, you know. Uh, but needless to say, he wanted way too high of a budget. And uh, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. So so that didn't happen. Uh, but I'm working with another uh, special effects artist who I'm probably gonna let direct uh, the next one. But then I'm talking to a couple other people uh, and trying to get, uh, you know, more more balls rolling. Uh, Because if we the the original idea was to get eight, because the original had six, and the thing is we're not. I'd I'd love to do one comedy, gory, outrageous type of thing, but you know being able to do it, you know, gotta do it, you know. Uh, And I don't know how it would go, but who knows? People may love it. People, you know. Uh, So yeah, so there's uh, in the works. Probably two more right now, but you know who knows if it's going to happen because, like I said, schedules and this and whatnot. So yeah,
0: that's awesome. Um, and last, with Unearthed Films and just kind of the rep- reputation that uh, you have with releasing uh, extreme extreme cinema, um, and and your soon to be out um, first film in the um, too extreme for mainstream series. Um, what are just some upcoming projects and things we can look forward to from Unearthed? Uh,
2: well, we're, we're pushing uh, with the classics right now because everybody's going nuts over watching all the old stuff from the 80s. Um, I like to pretend that it has something to do with no CGI and all practical effects, but I don't know, I don't know what's going on. Uh, uh, but uh, we're working on uh, a lot of new new stuff, uh, some of it i'm waiting on contracts so i can't tell you those mm-hmm. i don't want to get outbid by another company because i don't know when this uh, po- podcast is going to land um but uh we're, we're digging deeper into the japanese uh film industry and finding out what you know what hasn't been out i mean i'd love to put out visitor q you know oh, that'd be
0: awesome
2: yeah I see uh, yeah. <laughs> so and uh we're always dabbling and trying to work on uh, bigger films, you know, with bigger budgets, with different this and that. And uh, uh, we had like a sequel or two for some things and works, but you know, who the heck knows? You know, it's it's hard when you deal with rich people because they're rich and they're finicky, and you know, they'll, they'll they'll be all for it in one minute, and then the next minute they're chasing a butterfly around, you know, <laughs> you know, um, in their BMW they're doing something. But. uh we have, uh, like, Dark Side of the Moon is coming up uh, January 25th. We got The Grand Tour, which is, uh, oh, uh, who's that guy from Dumb and Dumber? Jeff I don't know. Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Mm-hmm. It's a sci-fi thing, you know, but big, you know, great movie. Uh, we have, uh, oh, shit. We got Deep Web XXX, which is just like Torment, which you brought up, which is too extreme for mainstream. And uh, those titles are... There's some shit in there that could actually land us in trouble with normal distribution because uh, uh, every state in the U.S. Uh, has uh, different obscenity laws, so there's a bunch of states that they would definitely be <laughs> hitting the obscenity law thing, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're working on the extended cut of a Serbian film, I'm trying to get the documentary going, but uh, it's being edited in Serbia, but it's going slow, you know. Uh, we have uh gutter balls uh a lot of plot diggers films uh so we're working on those um and yeah there's 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 a lot of stuff you
0: know. i know there's a lot of uh, excitement for your release of um a serbian film in the documentary is there a date that we could expect for it to come out or a, a period of time
2: no date all right no date. yeah because the thing is when we're done on our side you know the the blu-ray the dvd all has to be authored all the artwork has to be finalized and then that's when we put it into the system for distribution and it takes it's six months before the release date so we're getting yeah so we're getting close it'll probably be done in about two three months you know and then uh yeah and then we put it in the system so probably nine ten months which sort of sucks but we're actually in the middle of suing the u.s company that actually put it out due to non-payment and that takes a while too. You know, because it's through legal court cases and whatever.
0: Yeah, know. so there's a lot of processes to go yeah, through. Yeah, first. yeah,
2: yeah. You know, so, yeah. So, but yeah, we're up to a lot. And all of it no good.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, you giving me the time to talk to you. And uh, if there's anything else you'd like to add,
2: go find the Ultimate Dead Baby Cookbook and cook yourself up some wonderful baby back ribs. I think you'll like the barbecue sauce. And yeah. <laughs> Sounds I, delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can find us at unearthfilms.com, twitter.com slash unearthfilms, Instagram unearthfilms, 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 unearthfilms. Yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're all over the place. All right.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Stephen. Right. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast. If you like this content and would like to see some of the other projects I'm working on, please check out my YouTube channel, Cinema's Underbelly, as well as my company, Putrid Productions, where you can check out my shockumentary trilogy, Carving the Cadaver, as well as my photo book, Shrouded Domains, Animalia Mortem. Till next time, this is the uneasy terrain.